Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bourne. I would love for you to help us spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And did you know you're a part of a global community? We have over 70 plus countries listening to the podcast. Today, I want to welcome Jamaica to the list of the 70 plus countries. My guest today is Sadiam Kantamnini, and he is the Chief Experience Officer of the UX Reactor. And in less than seven years, they have become the fastest growing specialized experience design firm in the US, which is so cool, um, with over 50 plus employees spread over three continents. And what I love today is we're going to talk about his book, which is all about innovation and user experience. It's called User Experience Design, a Practical Playbook to Fu Fuel Business Growth. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Natalie. I appreciate uh, the privilege. Well, this is a cool topic, and we were talking about this beforehand, but our audience loves these types of topics, and I would love to just talk a little bit about your background personally and what inspired you to write this book. <laughs> I think a, a lot of the writing the book itself was uh, uh, probably a culmination of uh, the prior 15, 20 years of work that I've put into this. Uh, to a large extent, I think design, there's a lot of design level work that's been done in the world. And design, unfortunately, is still perceived as a visceral skill. Mm -hmm. uh, so a uh, lot of my uh, work and my study uh, has been uh, or has uh, revolved around design, the intersection of design, business, and technology. Uh, and uh, realized that there's not much written about it uh, in, in that context, uh, especially as uh, you know, user-centered design as a business uh, multiplier. Uh, so that that work is kind of what we ended up uh, doing at my firm, and then a lot of those firms ended up uh, a lot a lot of the work ended up becoming techniques, and then uh, we said we had to put it out there in public domain. So the book was a result of a lot of that thought process. That's really cool. So I want to unpack something you said. So let's talk a little bit for a second about what does it mean for business to to become user centric, and then how does the work that you do, or maybe. How does the book connect with some of that that thought process? So the foundational premise is uh, when you are user-centered, you should always be on a like a hockey stick growth. Uh, that means you know who your user is, you know what the pain points are, and you're solving it every day that you exist. But that's not the case in many companies. They actually are struggling to kind of identify who their user is, what the pain point is, product market fit. And so that's kind of been the, the reality of what's happening. 40% of the products still and features still fail because of product market fit. Uh, and so that's kind of when you start studying that, you realize that you know user centricity is often overused term mm -hmm. that many people don't understand and then they don't know how to deploy that. Uh, so that's kind of what is the premise overall. Uh, the book itself was like, what does user centricity mean? Do you know your user? How do you know your user? Uh, and you know, talking to a user doesn't make user centered. You know, are talking to users, empathizing with them, understanding with them, being you know able to rattle out five things that they actually are, you know, uh, really pained about is actually what user centricity is. That means there's a lot more level of deeper level of uh, introspection that needs to go in, uh, and so that was so we created techniques around that, and we kind of said let's publish that because that, as a practice, as a consulting firm, we put a lot of those techniques at and work, 
And we said, let's put it out there because there's only so many companies we can touch one by one. So let's just put it out there for others to leverage. Uh, so, but that the premise is very simple, but uh, again, very powerful. That is powerful. And I think, I think you're right. I think we have gone through a season where a lot of companies talk about being user-centric. But if we don't know where our customer is going, if we don't know what kind of content they're consuming, if we don't know what problems they're trying to solve or what they're thinking about, then we actually can't dig into the heart of what it means to really know our user. And so I, I do agree. We, we'd love to use the term, but are we, are we actually digging down to the, the details and, and understanding that? I know that, you know, when looking at kind of some of these user-centric ideas, a lot of people deploy empathy maps or persona exercises. Um, are those some of the things you use and do you use anything different that maybe is not in that wheelhouse? So we use those and we use a, a few more than that. And then I, I think these are artifacts. Artifacts, I mean, uh, the same as asking, uh, you know, would do you use Keynote or you need PowerPoint or use Google Slides? I think these are all mediums to communicate something. Mm -hmm. uh, I, in fact, I'll, I'll maybe take a step back before I answer that question. And the step back is I say, any leader out there, and I tell this, I coach a lot of the leaders, and I say, t take four random people in your company and ask them these four questions. Uh, who's the user that this, the company cares about? What are the top pain points that of that user? What are you doing to solve those? And how do you know you have solved those? And then the first thing is, do you have answers for that? Most times you won't. But if you do, then are they consistent between the four pe random people that you're picking across the company? And that's where you kind of start putting a, you know, a bar or a baseline. How user-centric are you? If everyone's saying the same thing, and if everyone is kind of very clear about what the pain points are, that means you're a user-centered organization. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's kind of the foundation aspect. Now, the point is, how do we kind of make sure that everyone gets uh, much more empathetic to them? Obviously, a persona map, defining an empathy map, an empathy map in most cases. Uh, so we also talk about uh, what we call something like an experience roadmap. That's a technique that kind of merges a lot of these things. And, and we also call that out in the book. Uh, it's a technique where we say if, if your top user is, let's say, you're a hospital and your top user is the caregiver of your patient, what's the journey that they go through? What is the different uh, journey that they go through right before they become a patient, while they become a patient, or sorry, while they're working with your patient and uh, continuing on? And what are the different pain points? What are the different insights you have? What are the measures that you're trying to kind of figure out to kind of get those pain points out? So what's your roadmap around a user and their experience? And every system in the world has multiple users. And if you have it for every user, then you actually are, you know, very much in tune to be user-centered and then tracking towards that. Uh, but a lot of times these are also done in organizations that have this data, they're done in silos. And right. uh, there's one person who knows that data in the company and, uh, you know, and no one knows who that one person is when they want <laughs> it. And that's kind of where it's inefficient in a lot of ways uh, and smart stuff uh, gets wasted. Yeah, that's wise. I mean, I think I think it's it's maybe known by your you know product manager or something like that, but it's not necessarily to your point shared out. And if you were to walk around the organization and ask other people, they wouldn't necessarily be able to articulate what it is that um, that kind of checks those boxes as you mentioned earlier. And so I think that um, it's not enough to do the work, right? It's not enough to to know it in a silo. It's how do you Absolutely. how do you cross the silos and and how is everybody thinking about the user, not just the the product manager per se, but how are other people in the organization thinking about that? Whose job is it to do that? Like whose job is it to to break down those silos and educate? 
Uh, if you ask me, I believe it's actually a role that doesn't exist in many companies. And the role is what I call the chief experience officer. Uh, at the same level uh, as a chief marketing officer reporting to the, the C-level of a company. Uh, and why is that the case? Because from a user's perspective who's as interacting with you and your system as a company, they don't care whether you are professional services, you are customer service, you are product. They think of all that, all of that as a single experience. I'll give you a very class, a great classic example. I'm a gold you know, um, a loyalty member for uh, one of the top airlines, which are based in Gulf. And I said, hey, you know, by the way, I reached out to them on uh, their uh, chat. And uh, I said, you know, hey, I've not gotten credit for a certain flight I've gotten to. I spent 20 minutes with them and they said, oh, that's a different department. Can you go to the website and do that? Now that's, and when, and so most times organizations ship their organization structure to a user and say, go figure it out. That's a crappy experience. Yeah. Uh, most times you need to get departments to work across each, uh, each other. Most times there should be a single owner of a user and their journey for a company. And that's why you need a separate role or a leader to drive that. Otherwise, it's just going to get bastardized under some leadership structure somewhere. And again, if the company believes that user centricity is that strategic imperative, in fact, I've seen so many value statements of companies as customer obsessed, you know, user centered. That doesn't work if you actually don't put the mechanics in place. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's just inefficient as you see that. And again, to my point, your question, it's actually a role that doesn't exist. Uh, and it has to sit right at the sea level of a company. Yeah, you know, I, I think more about that, what you said, the chief experience officer and how that's, that is uncommon. It's, it almost reminds me of, um, you know, when the chief product officer role began to come, come around and people started to think in that way. It's, it is another level. It's another step, another rung that we, I think, I think most people haven't realized is, is a necessity. But when you talk about these missed opportunities, um, it's brilliant. It makes, it makes perfect sense that there needs to be a seat at the table for someone who's owning the overall experience. And, and so that is, that is such a gap. And not only is it a gap, but it does explain, and, and you're exactly right, it's not up to the customer to understand your org chart and how to move throughout your org chart. It's, it's our job to flatten that as much as possible so they don't feel that at all. And they just feel the power of having a good experience, regardless of what problem we're trying to solve for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every time your user should feel that somebody thought about me and solved a problem. And that's magic. Uh, and, uh, and, and any company that can ship magic on a consistent basis is only going to win at all. What would you say when you think about um, structuring, right? So we kind of talked about some different types of roles. As we think maybe more like a futurist, how do you see org charts changing if the user experience role, if this chief, you know, experience officer role is kind of implemented in organizations? How do you see org chart shifting and changing? So I think org charts, see, there's there's a benefit of having uh, uh, functional uh, organizations, a functional department. So I'm not saying that that should evolve. What I'm saying is there should be a cohesion and incentivization around them. Uh, Unfortunately, the only group or the only department that or only person that thinks across departments and says, what is my, what does my customer want and how do I make everyone work together is typically the CEO or the CEO's office. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's kind of where you start talking about because you can't let, if you say product can't build it in, in a fast enough time, customers, uh, you know, success can't implement it fast enough, 
there's that element of how do you build an experience together. So if you have, if you're going to play the futuristic role, I would say they're the chief experience officer. They own every facet of a customer's journey. And then they say, you know, again, for example, it's not always product, right? So the, it could be some parts, maybe professional services, some part of it could be customer support, some part of it could be, but in the journey, the whole company gets touched by uh, the company touches a customer. So kind of somebody who looks at it says, these are all the pain points and I'm going to keep making it lesser and lesser and better, uh, lesser and lesser painful and then can make it better. So that's how I would assume this would work. Uh, they, you know, they're clear metrics. Uh, you know, you have experience metrics. You know, your users have adoption metrics, satisfaction metrics, you know, efficiency metrics, uh, you know, engagement metrics. You start looking at how do you gonna drive that better. You also can look at that against your competition. So your metrics are there. Your teams are structured uh, around that. Now, what are teams typically in the context of a chief experience officer? Uh, again, I, I'd say it's not. It's not rocket science if you really look at you know really good systems like the military out there they have a good intelligence team that's constantly looking for intelligence uh and uh, that's what your research user research team is you're kind of constantly understanding what the users want what the pain points are then taking that data and then and then activating that with a design team that's constantly iterating and experimenting and design is not just a design team it's actually engineering product everyone sitting there and kind of iterating on those uh, and then shipping it and then continuously kind of making sure you're supporting and putting a support structure to that. So everything needs to come together on that end with common metrics. Uh, and uh, if you have metrics and your incentives in the right place, the functional organizations can still be activated. So that leads me to the question of, of experience transformation. Let's spend a little bit of time just unpacking what is it and kind of why you think it's the next frontier of, of digital transformation. I can give you so many examples. Let's take this analogy, right? So we went from saying, oh, the company, uh, we need a website. And that was that generation. And from, okay, we need a website to interact. Then suddenly it's like, hey, why are we not being productive? Let's digitize everything. Let's kind of digital, uh, you know, automate, etc." So in the pursuit of digital transformation, a lot of people forgot that you still have to make technology easy to use, easy to understand comprehend you cannot train people i mean today if you're not looking at deep systems like automotive healthcare education uh you know security you just still have to train people on that you know it's all digital right and, and the uh, case in point is uh you know i was trying to uh do an uh, visa uh uh i was uh, trying to go to a country and then they said you need to put all your covid data in one place etc and i was going with my family it's all digitally transformed it's all con as they call it zero contact digitally transformed but the experience was so painful because by the time i finished filling the first person uh data and then i went into the second person which is my family members it could have replicated a lot of that information and said you know the same flight i'm not gonna say same uh, you know uh uh destination and origin and uh but then it asked me to fill up again by the time i filled the fourth one i timed out uh, and uh, so you start again. So this is what I call the, the paradox of digitally transformed, but experientially painful. Wow. And you're seeing a lot of that. You're seeing that in citizen experiences. Yes, everything mm -hmm. is digital. Go fill that up, you know, uh, uh, and then you fill it up and then you kind of are struck figuring out like, what the heck now? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not experientially easy. Uh, tax is the same way. I mean, uh, if you ask IRS, it says that, you know, hey, we are digitally transformed. You can upload your taxes anytime, anywhere. But it's painful to do that. And that is what I... When you start focusing on that pain, you actually will then, you know, unlock the power of digital. And that's what's why 
I strongly believe that experience transformation is the next frontier of digital transformation for companies uh, as they evolve. So I think when you when you said IRS, everybody can relate to that experience. <laughs> I was even thinking about how last year I was trying to pay a tax balance and at no point could it actually tell me what my balance was. So I just had to overpay and then receive a check back from them. At no point did I ever actually know my time and date balance. It was the most frustrating experience I've ever had. And I kept checking back because the, the, the last thing you want to do is owe the IRS. So you're trying to make sure that you paid them properly. But yes, I mean, when you talk about um, experiential nightmares that are digital, I think that there are so many examples like the ones you use, IRSs and others, that just drives home exactly what you're saying. Yes, you have it digitally, but the experience is terrible. Absolutely. So we work with this automotive dealership company. Uh, it took 12 minutes to check in every time, uh, uh, automotive dealership software, 12 minutes to check in every car that came into your dealership, right? And because it was experientially hard, you had to do one in this place. If you had to get a load of car, you go somewhere else. Oh, you had the credit, I want to go somewhere else. Oh, we actually uh, you know, uh, need to see if there was a part uh, available, I need to go somewhere else. That's, again, digitally all on digital system everything there's 12 different logins to 12 different digital systems but that's not digital transformation that i mean that is it's it's it has still a lot more and by the time we finished building that experience uh two minutes uh as as all it took and so just think about the same person cannot check in six times cars uh six more cars than uh, what they were doing right now it's highly efficient and it's it's uh, error proof because the systems are getting smarter and smarter but uh, and and you should just leverage the power of that. So, if you were to tell someone how you went from from here to there, right, A to B, with doing that, what would you say were just some of the maybe like three or four high level principles that you used to help them take their time down in terms of of the number of cars they had to check in? Like, what were some of just the grounding principles you used to to help them make that transformation? See, I think innovation comes by following the user. That's our, our fundamental premise, right? So, uh, and, and in this case, we spent time observing service advisors, seeing how they work, what they were doing, where they were kind of waiting, where they were asking someone else, like, hey, do we have a loaner car? The other problem is, yeah, they have a loaner car, but where is the key? Who has the key? Because it went out yesterday. So you start noticing all these nuances and you start documenting them, as you call an empathy map or a journey, like, oh, this is a, this is a pain point. They know that there's a car, but they don't know where the key is because that was returned yesterday. Oh, by the way, has it been cleaned up? Because these are not systemically tracked. These are vehicles in your own inventory. So, uh, and is it ready for uh, being loaned back? Uh, so you start observing the user. You start understanding the pain points. Then you say, what would the best experience that, uh, if, if I was to do it in a magic, uh, I had a magic wand and I said, what would I do if I, I could just magically create it? Then you kind of build out a prototype of an experience test it out and then go back and say, you know, how would this work? Honestly, to build an experience, the cost of experimentation today is a few thousand dollars. Uh, if you, it just takes time to sketch out an idea and put in front of someone and say, is this, would this work? How would this work? And then prototyping that further would be of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to implement. Many companies kind of really go fast from like zero, like I have a problem. Somebody asked this a feature, I'm going to go engineer it. And then uh, a million or $2 million later, identify it's hard to use. And yeah. then you, it doesn't get used. So many features you've built are not getting used. So again, to answer the thing, you understand the user, you understand the journey, then you design the thing, iterate on it, and then work with engineering to build it. That's as simple as it is, but that discipline is where many companies kind of fail. Uh, it's a, 
in military, there's a word called rank has its privilege. And unfortunately, in, in, in corporates, uh, the senior person is like, I think this is the feature they want. Or this customer told me they want it, so I want to give it to them because they're going to sign their next deal. That's not how you build software. You need to build it around a deep amount of patterns. Uh, that if, if you see 10 users using it uh, and you kind of see the pain kind of coming together, then you validate it with 10 other people and say, oh, okay, is this still a pain for you? And they say, yes, then go for it and build it and you trade on it. And then when you launch it, absolutely it will work because you understood a pain and you solved it. And again, all of us in our own life can identify a couple of pains that someone can actually solve right now. We are willing to get money out of a pocket and give it to them. And yeah. that's that's basically that connection is the magic that uh, it's simple, but you know, needs to be kind of unlocked. Yeah, it's simple, but not followed. And I think that's why that's so many companies are in the state they are. I even just think about the fact of what you were saying of pattern finding, right? Like, that's great that one person will write a check, but will 10 people, will 15, will 20 people Absolutely. write a check for that feature, for that that added, you know, product that we're going to put into to process? Because sometimes bringing that product to market could cost more than what that person on surface is willing to stroke a check for. And so oftentimes, right, in sales, we're so ready to close that deal that we're not always looking at the the fact that if this is not repeatable, we're actually creating technical debt. We are creating... Um, service challenges right to now service something that only one person is using so it's it's n has to equal many and if n doesn't equal many then we shouldn't be building it and and so you're right and so many organizations uh the ceo makes it with a client right idea let's go build it and then nobody wants it and i've i've actually been brought in to turn those types of products around and it was like hey that's great that we built this nobody cares you know Nobody cares. And so we have to start with what do people care about? What are they, what is the problem that we're trying to solve right now, not in 10, 15, 20 years? And so this is, this is brilliant. I love, I love, love, love this. Talk to us about where, uh, talk to us a little bit about your company and, and where we can locate your company, how we can find you, follow you. And then talk to us a little bit about um, where your book is available and just, um, and what we'll get out of that as well. Absolutely. So, uh, the book, uh, sorry, let's start with the company, the UX Reactor, the firm that I run, uh, we, we call ourselves Catalyst. Uh, we catalyze, uh, you know, the reaction through uh, user-centeredness or user experience. Uh, we are located uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, headquartered in Pleasanton, uh, with, you know, significant presence in other parts of the world. Uh, you know, our prime focus has always been like uh, unlocking product strategy uh, through user-centered, uh, you know, practices for B2B enterprises. That's been our core strength. Uh, we've worked with a lot of large companies. In fact, there's a bunch of companies that focus around B2C. Uh, when we said, no, we, let's go after the meaty problems that, you know, uh, the uh, multi-user, multi-context, multi-systems bring to us. And, and that's kind of what we have spent the time over the last eight years. Uh, the book itself is... Uh, a lot of our techniques that we call or we call them plays internally like so uh, many times when people are trying to unravel uh, the power of uh, user centeredness uh, we identified 27 different scenarios for that and he said you know how do you build a you know how do i measure user experience how do i build a team for user experience uh, you know how do i build an experience roadmap for every user that i care about how do i even go and ask uh, questions and and uh, build uh, my empathy uh, uh, for a certain user. So these are all the how do I questions. So we have 27 how do I questions. Uh, 
uh, and we said, you know, let's kind of write that down and write a place on how we would do uh, do it uh, and when we are running it. If someone wants to do it themselves, absolutely, the book is kind of go read it and try to do it yourself. Uh, if someone wants us to, uh, someone wants their, us to do it for them, then absolutely, then the, you know, the firm kind of helps them. Uh, but it, but the basic premise is still the same, which is, uh, in fact, the one most often, uh, I need to mention this, I think, for the audience is, uh, there's often misunderstood myth with uh, user centricity, which is the I call it the Henry Ford myth, a uh, way like you know if I only asked the user what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse when he was trying to build Model T. Uh, the answer is I think people got get that completely wrong. You don't ask any user what they want. You observe them. You kind of track what it is. You don't go and ask a service advisor in a dealership what do you want? You observe that they are struggling for that loan key. You observe that they actually are trying to figure out they have a part or not and they try to look across and that's what you start observing and you take notes on that because most times many people in the process of doing it themselves or users who are engaging, they themselves can't articulate the problem. Uh, and uh, so what they feel is not what they say. Uh, and so you have to triangulate that and then you have to kind of take that on, which is why I say you have to think like a a military analyst, you're looking at data the way that others are not looking at, and then you correlate that. So anyway, long story short, I think that's basically the sense of what uh, we, we're trying to kind of put forward in the book. Uh, and, and when you do that, our fundamental belief is, uh, and we have seen this so many times with our clients, that millions and billions of dollars gets unlocked because you just build that moat ag against competition that you know you are just following the user and you're doing it and many other folks don't even know where you're coming up with these ideas and all you're doing is just making sure you're highly in tune with what's happening with you know the, the grassroots users of your system in fact there's a whole technique that i would just quickly share and we call it the lead user technique where we look at users using your product or system in unintended ways and if we can go and find that out that's million dollar and billion dollar opportunities that came up. I was working for a large company and we were seeing that we, that we were used to work, build a, we had a web meeting product in a prior company and we would observe that a lot of doctors are using it uh, for talking about the patients and looking at uh, collaborating with others. But most times it's not HIPAA compliant. So they're doing it because that's the right thing for the patient, but it may not always be HIPAA compliant. But what if now we created a HIPAA compliant product? That's a billion dollar uh, addressable opportunity. And that's where you start looking at observe your user and then automatically everything comes together. So again, a long-winded answer, but hopefully that kind of addresses the issue uh, itself. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love I love what you said. Don't don't go by what they say, observe what they do and and follow that trend. And I, I will say this, that um, you know, in my career, I've had the opportunity to work on many, many products, many innovations, and it was simply by watching the customer it wasn't because i was super brilliant and had all these great ideas it was literally just watching them work having them verbally process how much they hated certain things and why and i think that that's what leads you to to the innovations and so we sometimes we make it so much harder than it needs to be we think we need to go away for two days and all lock ourselves in a room together we actually need to go spend time with our customer we need to sit with them we need to observe them and really understand them to to make a mark on on product development. So this has been really Absolutely. cool. I've been, I've enjoyed this. Absolutely, same here. Likewise, then. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Likewise, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, to our listeners, thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Remember, don't just get out of the box. Break the box and set it on fire. Let's go transform something. Thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. 
Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership and visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources.